hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Shut up and sit down. Hey everybody, we are back. Thanks for tuning in. I know that you guys are so excited to hear about how our elk trip went, and that will be coming up here soon in the next couple of weeks. We had this episode recorded right before we left, and I was going to try to get it out before we took off on our trip, but logistically it just didn't happen. So um, this one is very relevant to what we did on our trip. We talked today with Mark Helsing from ExoPax, and we talk a lot about nutrition, about things for the new elk hunter, um, especially on our first trip out west. Lots of great information Mark has on nutrition and Great insight from his experiences working with the guys at EXO, and uh, we go through some of the things on their death hike and other things like that. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one. Um, so without further ado, check it out. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. John and Adam here with Mark Helsing from ExoPax, and uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit about um, packs, but more about nutrition and, and kind of like mountain fitness type stuff. Um, he's been so gracious as to, to spend a little bit of time talking with us tonight, and uh, we really appreciate it. So how are you doing tonight, Mark? Excellent. Uh, it's uh, exciting that we're wrapping up August and getting into September, which in my opinion is the most wonderful time of the year, so I'm excited. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, I have to imagine as September comes up for the, you guys in the industry, it's got to be such a a busy time, you know, where everybody's asking questions and they want to know and last minute stuff. Like, let's say a guy from Michigan just wants to switch up his pack, you know, a week before he's headed <laughs> out on his, last minute. <laughs> his, uh, his uh, first elk hunt ever. Um, so how do you guys balance that need, want, and ability to hunt with you know, running a business at, at this time of year. Yeah. It's one of those funny things where I, I'm sure people have this idea of, Oh, you work in the hunting industry. How great you hunt for a living or, you know, you can just 
leave any time or what have you. Um, but once you get into it, it's like, oh, the hunting season is actually super busy, and especially reading, leading right up to the hunting season is super busy. So don't get me wrong, like once September, uh, the calendar flips here, we'll be offline quite a bit ourselves. But leading up to it, we've learned that you just have to uh, do your own preparation earlier and earlier. And then thankfully over time, as we've done this more and more, we also need less preparation. So it's just overwhelming. So sometimes it's uh, the last minute packing, the last minute, you know, take care of this simply because you've been so busy helping everybody else get set up. But um, that's also the fun, man, is, is talking to customers and hearing about their stories and the adventures that they're getting ready to go on to. And then a couple months later, hearing back from them about how those trips went. So, man, it's a blast to, to share in that with other folks. So you say as you've been going through this and it's getting better and better and it's getting easier, um, you know, except for the last minute planning things. Um, so give us a little bit of background on on yourself and kind of how long you've been um, in the industry and, and, and with EXO and kind of um, just hunting in general. Yeah, so I, um, I'm a Midwest uh, kid, born and raised, and still in the Midwest, actually. And um, is somewhere, you know, I did whitetail hunting and some turkey hunting and some small game hunting growing up, and then kind of got busy, you know, middle school, high school years, just doing sports and all kinds of other stuff and didn't hunt much. Um, but really soon as I graduated college and found some little bit of free time again, uh, my immediate thought was, dang, I got to get back into hunting. Um, and for me, it, that be, that started with archery. Uh, I didn't shoot a bow growing up. It was all rifle and shotgun stuff. And so archery was all new to me. And so I was basically early 20s uh, trying to figure out archery and bow hunting for the first time and just got absolutely obsessed with it. Um, I loved shooting a bow. I loved the pursuit, the hunt, the different challenge that bow hunting presented. Um, and so just dove in, I mean, completely, um, it was basically self-taught. And then this idea of Western hunting was on my mind, but seemed, you know, kind of far-fetched or unrealistic, or I, I don't have the time or the money or what have you. Um, but the more I thought about it, I just thought, man, it's not going to get any easier. It's not going to get easier when I'm older. It's not going to get easier when I have kids. It's not going to get easier later. Um, so I just have to make it happen now. So it was overwhelming. I mean, I didn't know any anyone who did that type of thing, who went to the mountains, who chased elk. Uh, so I just started trying to learn and research. And this was, you know, six, seven years ago, somewhere in there. So some of the great resources that we have now, uh, we didn't have then just six or seven years ago, thinking of things like Onyx Maps or the University of Elk Hunting from Elk 101 or Go Hunt or, I mean, none of that stuff existed at that time. So I was just doing research on my own. I started writing about it a little bit on a blog basically to process my own thoughts and then also put things down so that I could personally reference them later. Uh, and somewhat shocking to me, people started reading that blog and following that blog. And then that kind of opened doors to the, the quote unquote industry, if you will, um, to you know, meet people and have different opportunities. And, you know, fast forward now working for Exo Mountain Gear is nothing that, um, like if you would have told me now that I was going to be here, if you had told me that five, six years ago, I would have thought you were nuts, but here I am. And it's, it's been a fun adventure. With that, um, I guess tell everybody, what is it that you do with, uh, 
with Exo. And I guess if they've been living under a rock and they don't know what Exo Mountain Gear is, uh, kind of give a little bit of a, a, an intro to, you know, what it is. Because I think one of the things, the more people that we've talked to, um, it's almost like it's not like just a brand or it's not just like a, a company that puts out products. It's more of like a community. I mean, the fact that you guys, you know, will come on something like this and just be like, you know, hey, I'm an open book. Ask me anything. Um, I mean, I think that says a lot to like, you know, what you guys are doing because you're, you know, one of the top brands in the in the Western hunting industry. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so Exo Mountain Gear, well, this was started about five years ago by Steve Speck and Lonnie Nelson, who were from Idaho and had been doing backcountry and backpack style hunting for many years before that. Um, and the, the packs themselves, they just couldn't find the backpack that met their needs or their preferences. And they were uh, crazy enough and bold enough to think, well, shoot, we know what we want. We can't find it. Why don't we try and build it? And so it really started by them figuring out like what all went into building a pack and playing with different, you know, frame structures and materials and fabrics and you name it. Um, and so that was quite the process. And I knew Steve at that time um, from some other things and was kind of buddies with him and had helped him on some other business stuff a bit. And so he told me early on, he's like, hey, we're starting this pack company um, you know, we're testing all these prototypes and it was fun to see all that develop before it was public. Um, and so really I've been involved since the beginning, uh, at some level and then now I'm, I'm full time, but Exo Mountain Gear, uh, we build backpacks specifically for backcountry hunting, um, backpack style hunting for the most part. Although we do have plenty of guys who, you know, they don't do the backpack style hunt where they're packing in for five days they're just doing day hunts but they want a pack system that is light uh, that can carry everything they need and then what's key is that at any point in time whether you're you know packing and have gear on your back for a week or you're just out for the day no matter what the conditions are what you're carrying we want you to be able to then carry meat out carry that comfortably and effectively at any time so that's you know if you're a day hunter we don't want you to carry your day pack and then put an elk on the ground three miles deep and then have to take this three-mile trip to the truck to get your frame hauler. And then three miles again back to the elk, you've now wasted six miles just to start loading meat. We want you to always have a, a pack on your back that can haul meat at any time. Um, and there's, you know, there's so much that goes into pack design and pack function. Um, you know, it can't just be a super rigid meat hauler. It also has to be comfortable and have some flex so that as you're hiking through rough terrain is that you're climbing over deadfall when you're drawing your bow when you're getting into an awkward shooting position that pack needs to move with you and not work against you and so there's a lot that goes into that in terms of the specifics of uh, building a pack that can kind of do all of that well so when you're you're doing uh, all of that that type of stuff i mean we're we're kind of planning uh doing a kind of three days out come back three days out again i mean we're basically going to have about seven days to hunt and we're going to do with it as best we can as you know our ability uh, allows us being new guys out there so we are the people um you know kind of that you referenced at the beginning that are asking all the questions that are (laughs) taking up your your uh, planning time um 
so when you guys are testing these packs and when you're you're doing that, you know, it wasn't real long ago that you couldn't get on anything about Western hunting without seeing the XO death hike. And so for you guys, this this training, I guess that, well, that's what we would call it, would be training. And you guys are just essentially product testing, but it's your lifestyle. And so you've, you've created, uh, you said it's, it's been a long time coming, uh, you know, and just kind of evolved into this death hike, which you said is 100 miles over how much time? Uh, we did it in three days this year. Um, so like the years prior, they were somewhat shorter hikes, both in distance and time. Um, like in 2017, for example, we only did 30 something miles, but it was almost this mindset of, well, how fast can we do it? And so some of us hiked through the night. Um, this one this year going into 2018 and kind of this hundred mile plan, we knew it was a totally different effort. You can't just like push hard and say, I'm going to go to the end, uh, with that type of mileage. That's really not an option. Uh, where it is with, you know, 30 something miles where you can just kind of grunt through it. So yeah, this year was three days and we had to be much more, um, wise about pacing and certain strategy, things like that, just cause it, it, it truly is a long, uh, distance effort and it's kind of more of an endurance effort and you can't like ignore little small things cause over time you get 60, 70, 80 miles in. And then you're thinking, well, crap, I'm 80 miles in. I got 20 still to go. Like you still need to be in good shape at mile 80. So yeah, this year was uh, certainly something quite different. So can you break that down for us? Like what exactly? I mean, I I talked to, I messaged back and forth with Chris Horton. I've been trying to get him on the podcast, um, you know, to kind of talk about a little bit of elk hunting and what he does over there. Um, but can you kind of go through what the weight is, what what the distance was, and, and kind of who all is involved with this this hike? Yeah, so the origins of the death hike, um, you know, it's kind of become this thing now, but it really it really started as Steve and Lenny going, let's pick a weekend and put it on the calendar and maybe grab some buddies and just go for a long hike um, to test gear, to test ourselves, um, and really just see what some of our limits are. And so this year was the fourth year. It's kind of changed each year. Um, this year was the longest year by far being close to 100 miles. And we thought that that would kind of push numbers down. But we actually had more guys than ever. <laughs> um, so we started with uh, 31 guys. And then 21 of those 31, so like two-thirds of the guys, finished uh, and did all of the days and all of the miles. Um, so there's like a third of the guys who essentially didn't complete it. Um, which we knew going in. I mean, we knew with that that type of distance, um, it's it's not even just a, are you tough enough to do it? Although I think everybody faced that point personally, but there's things that can happen in that distance where maybe you could tough through it, but it's just not smart. So like if your knee starts to blow up, um, is it really wise to push on that knee for another you know, 60, 70 miles? Because you could seriously injure yourself, that type of thing. So it's not that everybody who dropped out just wasn't tough enough. That wasn't at all the deal, but yeah, we had 31 guys. Um, I guess just getting into like how it went down. It's, it's basically been since it started as Steven and Lenny, just getting a group of guys together. That's how it's evolved. So it's become like, there's no sign up. There's no, we don't advertise it. Mm -hmm. We don't publicize it. Although more and more and more we get people asking us, how can they join? So we're figuring out what we can do in the future, but it's always just been like, a group of guys and 
a buddy who did it one year might invite a buddy next year. And that's how it's grown is just very organically. And so essentially to be there, you know, somebody who's done it or something to that effect. But we, uh, we all met at a trailhead at a starting point, um, and slept literally in a parking lot, all 30 of us and woke up at five 30 in the morning and we're on the trail at six or six 30 in the morning trucking, um, to try and get to the end point, which was almost a hundred miles away. And this was all in, uh, some pretty, pretty amazing country up in Idaho. We did 21,000 feet of elevation gain over the three days. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly covered some ground in that regard. The first day ended up being, uh, about 30, I think it was like 36 miles. Um, the second day was slightly shorter. The third day was the shortest of the three, but was still, you know, 25 plus with a ton of climb. So, um, yeah, it was, it was one of those deals where everybody who does that, um, is going to take something different away from it, but then everybody is also going to have some commonalities in their experience in terms of you're going to hit low points mentally and physically. Um, and you're going to hit this point where you're questioning yourself on what am I doing out here? Why am I doing this? Um, but you just, you know, you push through that. And I think those are the same things you run into on a hunt. You're, you know, when hunting is slow and animals aren't cooperating and maybe the weather sucks or you're seeing too many people and not enough animals, like you're going to have that same thing of what am I doing out here? Why am I doing this? And so it's, it really is for us. I mean, yeah, we were testing prototypes and doing all kinds of fun gear stuff, but it's, it's always as much about testing ourselves and kind of finding our own limits as it is about testing the gear. So on that hike, what, what pack did you run? Obviously, you're probably, you guys were shooting for the lightest. Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. So we had, you know, we have three pack models. We have the 2000, which is primarily meant as a day pack, the 3500, which is our most popular model. and the most versatile in a lot of regards in terms of it can function very well as a day pack, but it's going to get you up into, you know, four or five, six day long hunts. And then our 5,500, which is the biggest, uh, which is meant for extended hunts. And it was cool to see, um, a bunch of folks show up with all three of those models and use all three of those models on this hike. So obviously the goal with being that type of distance was to pack as light as possible. And so you can take a day pack like our 2000, And if you have a pretty lightweight gear list and you're only going out for a day or two and it's early season and you're not packing a bunch of extra layers or, you know, you don't have to worry about like a four season shelter or anything like that, you're going light and fast. You can do that out of the 2000. So we certainly had guys doing that. I ran the 3500. Um, I took the lid off just to make it a little bit more streamlined and used that. And then we had guys using a 5,500, which is our largest pack, but it compresses really well. And so they were just, you know, sucking that extra volume out of the pack and making it a nice, uh, making it a nice size with carrying the essentials. So most guys started with, um, with gear and food, you know, at the beginning of the hike, most guys pack weights were going to be somewhere around like 20, I would say to 23, 24 pounds. Um, for me, uh, I don't think I threw it on scale, but I bet it was right about 22. And let's see how much of that was food. <laughs> the amount of food that we packed for this hike was ridiculous. Um, gosh, I can't remember if I was packing. I think I was packing four pounds of food a day or close to four pounds of food a day, which is insane. I know it was over three. 
Uh, I'd have to look back at my notes. So I was I was packing, you know, 10. Yeah, 10, I think it was close to 12 pounds of food. It was over 10, close to 12 pounds of food alone. Um, so at the beginning, of it, it was literally like, oh, day two is a lot lighter simply because I ate four pounds of food yesterday. <laughs> what with that? What that's well, I just ordered your 3,500 pack, and I absolutely love it so far. I, I had all my gear packed up in it, and <clears throat> excuse me, I threw it on the scale. I was at like 26 pounds, but that was without food or water. But mm-hmm. uh, I could probably streamline it a little bit, mm-hmm. but. What what food were you like? I'm right now. I'm trying to. I just went and bought some Mountain House and stuff, and I'm still trying to like fine tune my calorie intake. But obviously, we're not going to be doing 30 miles a day, so I'm yeah. shooting for the 3,000 calorie per day. But what what is your like food preference? Yeah, it's um, I have played a lot with food just based off of personal experience. Um, both for backcountry trips like this as well as just everyday nutrition. Um, I've tinkered a lot, uh, I would say, like in the last seven years. I used to be 40-plus pounds heavier than I am now. Um, and I think anytime you go through any sort of significant weight loss and keep that off for a long time, you begin to understand food a little bit. Um, and then even being at a consistent weight for the past you know, seven years or so, I've also played with food just in terms of training and physical performance to see what my body likes. Um, and then it wasn't until this past year I actually met a nutritionist through our podcast, uh, Kyle Camp, who runs V2P, which stands for Volley to Peak Nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, you can catch his stuff at V2PNutrition.com. I'm pretty sure that's the website. Google it. It'll come right up. But he really helped me understand for something like the Death Hike how you should fuel and then how you can uh, fuel for hunts as well. And so there's there's this idea out there. Anytime you get into, you know, backpacking and backcountry pursuits, we always like to be as light as possible. And people carry that over into their approach with food. And they want the most calories for the least amount of weight. Um, and when you do that, there you can't get around science. Meaning there is nine calories in a gram of fat. And there's only four calories in a gram of protein or carb. So you can get much, much more calories per weight, like per gram or per ounce, by packing heavy on fat. Like that, there's no way around that. Um, and so for a while I did that, but I also noticed that it worked, but I would get like two or three days into a hunt and start to feel a bit more sluggish. Um, and so I've actually you know, bumped up my carbs and things like that a bit, even though it's not as weight efficient from a performance perspective. Um, it's been really, really helpful. And so if you want to geek out, like you can for sure geek out and I've done that with spreadsheets and formulas and all that. And it, it is certainly, I think worthwhile to do, um, especially if you've, if you've never done that to understand food and how it works. Um, we also have a free nutrition guide, um, with Kyle that he graciously put together for us with the sample meal plan and all that. If you go to exomountaingear.com forward slash nutrition, you can download that for free. So I would check that out if you guys are interested in Absolutely. that type of thing. But, um, long winded way to say for most guys, they are going to need upwards of 3000 calories or more 
even for a hunt, not even for something like the death hike. Like for the death hike, I was, I would think I ended up being like 56 to 5,800 calories a day, which seems astronomical, but we were also, you know, doing 30 plus mountains and miles a day. Um, for a hunt, I will pack between 3,500 to 4,000 calories a day. And it's going to be between, you know, one and three quarters to two pounds of food. Um, I don't typically pack over 2,000 uh, or over two pounds of food, but I can essentially get 4,000 calories out of two pounds of food. Um, and some days I don't quite pack that much. It really depends on what I expect in terms of covering ground. Mm. Um, but then, so like that's the science side um, in terms of the very practical, like, okay, so what do I pick? I balance that out with what sounds good. Um, and sometimes you don't know what sounds good when you're sitting at home versus when you're on day six of a hunt because your appetite can change, but that's part of the learning experience. But in the end, I've, I've certainly been there and, and many guys get there where you can't stomach the thought of another granola bar or another piece of jerky or another mountain house meal or another whatever, if that's all you've been eating for six days. Um, so part of that might be variety for you. Um, part of that might be just finding things that heck yeah, I can eat it every day for a week and I, it doesn't bug me cause it just, I like it and, it, and I like it and it, it, you know, it tastes good. Um, it's funny coming off the death hike. One of the guys was, he got super into nutrition, but he kept it incredibly healthy. And then he's seeing everybody around him eat gummy bears and all kinds of junk food basically. And so I think I saw him comment somewhat recently of like, you know, when he's going out on hunts now, he's basically going to pack food as if he were a 13 year old girl that just got dumped by her first boyfriend. <laughs> um, meaning you can eat like a bunch of junk and sometimes that actually fuels you just fine. So I would encourage people to go ahead and geek out to the extent that they want to geek out. And I think it can make a huge difference in terms of performance. Like it really, really can. And at the same time, I would say figure out about how many calories you want and how you want those calories dispersed in terms of protein, fat, carbs. And then as you're accommodating for all that, figure out what the heck do you want to eat? Like what's going to sound good? Um, like for me, something that is always just a treat is Pop-Tarts. And I just flat out don't eat them in, in, in regular day life. But then I like this treat in the backcountry and it's like, oh, perfect. I can eat another Pop-Tart. That's great. So it's funny, it, it, different things work for different people, but I'll be shoving down some Pop-Tarts and gummy bears and some healthy food, but it's much different than my day-to-day -day diet, that's for sure. <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that, because Adam, what, you bought like five pounds of gummy bears? Yep. <laughs> He's like, I got enough gummy, gummy bears. For, I'm like, I'm not eating no damn gummy bears. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, Apparently, I'm going to eat some some. You now. might be. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so, I don't know, maybe you hate them, but for me, those... uh golden bag the haribo i think is how you yep, say it that's, what I got. that's their money yeah <laughs> and, and and that's one of the things like so it's really good to hear you say that because i i i've been like back and forth between the geeking out and i'm totally the 13 year old girl because i mean we talked about it with chad on the previous podcast but i'm like i'm just gonna eat like i could go stop at the gas station and get everything that i i, I kind of want um, yeah. just, I just know, and it's one of those things like too, where you like know your body and like what, you know, what you can, can and can't eat. And like, mm -hmm. I've been the same weight just about for the last 
15 years eating just garbage. So that's, <laughs> that's lucky you. That's, and we all envy you. <laughs> and that's, and that's the balance for me. But, yeah. um, in that, that nerding out, one of the things where I've got all this stuff and I'm trying to, um, kind of figure out my day to day, um, since you've done all the nerding out and you kind of talked about the, the fat protein carbs, you know, that being macros, how do you kind of break that up for the, you know, for yourself personally? I mean, obviously, if you go heavier on the fats, that's where you get the, you know, more calories per ounce. But yeah. or does it just not matter? You're just you're just saying, okay, what is going to be good? I've got a pretty good balance, and you're not so heavy. I mean, it almost seems like mathematically, with your two pounds and three thousand calories, it's going to work itself out. Yeah, it it partially does. Yeah. Um. So I can pull two pounds of food and four thousand calories, and that's going to be one hundred and twenty-five calories per ounce. Okay. Which is pretty dang balanced. Um. So to give you an idea, foods like gummy bears are going to be like a hundred calories per ounce, like low in that range. And then if you get up into pure fats like olive oil, they're going to be way up in the one hundreds. And so one hundred and twenty-five calories per ounce, just kind of averaged out, is you know it's. I used to shoot for closer to like 140 to 150, but that that was when I was packing solely for being weight conscious and not for performance. Um, and I found that, you know, around that 125 calories an ounce number works well. But for me, the way I look at it is I'll shoot for a certain number of carbohydrates first, um, along with a certain number of protein, and then fats can kind of fill in the balance. And so if I get up into like, you know, 550 to 600 grams of carbs and then 150 plus grams of protein. And then I'm short on calories. I can fill in calories with fats easy. So I can throw in like a packet of Justin's nut butter. I can throw in some nuts themselves to kind of boost that fat number just to get me my overall calories. As long as I know that I've met kind of that ballpark number of carbs uh, and protein that I was shooting for. That's obviously dependent upon you know, the num- like the specific numbers is going to depend on somebody's body weight. So I'm, you know, 6'2", 185. It could be different if you're 5'6", and 150, right? Um, and part of the that nutrition guide I mentioned goes into, you know, those formulas and those numbers. And so if guys want to geek out and, like, actually get, well, okay, how much should I have personally? Um, they can get that in that nutrition guide, which could be helpful. Um, but, yeah, I shoot if I shoot for that 125 calories per ounce, that essentially is going to balance my macronutrients pretty well for the most part. Um, I just throw together a quick spreadsheet and really look at, okay, I've got this bar, I've got this food, I've got this, and here's my fat, calories, protein, and it you know just adds my total calories uh, and makes it pretty simple. Um, in terms of just other little details on food, I mean, this is all... Yeah, I want to say super basic stuff, but if you've never done this type of thing, maybe you haven't thought of these things. I essentially pack a Ziploc bag for each day just so I know that each day has that day's food. And then, you know, as I'm going through that day, I'm just eating from that one Ziploc bag. So I'm not like rummaging through my pack to find, you know, a granola bar um, and go, well, did I eat that today already? Should I eat that again? Like each day is just in its own bag and portioned. And that way I know I'm eating the right number of calories. And then it's just, you know, super basic stuff. Trash goes back in that bag. So each day it gets self-managed. Um, in terms of just filler calories, obviously on the fat end of things, 
nuts um, and oils and that types of thing can fill fat. In terms of carbohydrates, I mean, that's where a lot of your, you can be sugary type stuff like the gummy bears and things we mentioned. Um, some of my favorite things to do on that side is on the death hike, for example, I, I dehydrated some uh, bananas and then mixed that with golden graham cereal. And that was fan freaking tastic little snack. Um, I did the same thing with like some dehydrated apples mixed with granola. That was a really good snack. Um, obviously I still do a lot of, um, some packaged food as well. So things like honey stingers, um, RX bars, oh goodness, you know, there's, there's quite a bit. Uh, it's really a matter of what, what do you like, you know, what can you find accessible? But I'll literally, I mean, for three months before hunting season, I'll pretty much keep an eye on places online as well as my local grocery store and just catch sales. So if, you know, if Bobo's bars go super cheap one week, I'll be the weird guy that goes in and buys 12 of them knowing I'm not going to eat them for two months uh, till September rolls around. But I basically spend, you know, those months like kind of packing food is, you know, when it's cheap and, and when it's available. So, you know, that's just you can throw stuff together last minute. You can wing it. I certainly do it. But I would say that as I've paid attention to my intake and been more strategic, it's made a huge difference. It doesn't, um, it kind of doesn't matter on day one and day two, but it's when you get into day three, four, five, six, seven, when you've been putting on the miles and, and living in the back country, that's when it makes a big difference on, do I still have energy? Do I still feel good? Uh, do I still want to eat? And if I shoot a bull on day seven, can I get that sucker out of there? So that's, that's awesome that you say that. Cause that's, that's where my dilemma, that's what I've been like fighting with. Cause you know, like Adam was talking about how, well, he can just eat garbage. Well, I, I try not to eat garbage. I mean, I love, I love it, but I can't just keep the weight off. Like right now I'm, I'm six, three. And normally I'm running probably 235, but right now I'm down to like 217. And so I'm like, I don't want to go out there and then just eat garbage and feel like garbage. But, but what you're saying, I mean, obviously you must live a pretty healthy lifestyle outside of the woods, you know, year round. But then when you go in the woods, you can, you're doing enough work and stuff that you can burn off them carbs and the sugars and you're still yeah, and feeling I good. Like I couldn't rely solely on garbage. Don't get me right. wrong. Cause I think I would just like you, if you're eating fairly healthy, fairly clean, and then just go on this crazy binge, like you're going to feel that. Right. Um, but at the same time, there's food that I just don't touch the other 340 days a year that, you know, if I eat a pop tart in the morning, I'm going to feel fan freaking tastic. I'm going to be on a sugar high and ready to kill something. Um, I can't only eat pop tarts, but things like that, you know, Right. I don't want to say treat yourself. I would just say that they're effective. Like junk carbs, if you're matching that with high output, can be very effective. That's the problem is, is most people eat junk carbs and have zero output the other <laughs> days, and that's what creates the problem. Right. Yeah. So I mean, and and for me, I think that that's one of the things. Like from the military, for me, it was always like those were part of the morale portion of it. And I think that's maybe kind of like what you're alluding to with again getting that pop tart and that sugar high is that like. It's not necessarily something that you look forward to eating, but it's not something that you're dreading that you have to eat. And it's that yeah. balance, you know? So, right. I mean, I've eaten a lot of, a lot of MREs in my day and it was just easier to bring 
you know, a two pound bag of gummy bears or, or something like that because I knew <laughs> right. that I could supplement those for some of the other calories that I needed um, for things that I just didn't want to eat anymore. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of one of those kind of one of those deals for me. Yeah. Um, but you had said, you know, it, it, throwing stuff together at the last minute. So we sitting here right now today are definitely into the last minute. And I think as we talked about before the podcast, we, you know, it seems like a lot of people will have their first hunt planned a year in advance or, or two years or, or whatever. And, you know, we're going on um, six months learning how to elk hunt, you know, six, eight months learning how to elk hunt trying to train, trying to gather all this information for terrain we've never been in. Um, so I guess for yourself, take us back to like your first elk hunting experience coming from the Midwest and then kind of like where you're at today and what you wish you knew or things that, you know, maybe, maybe now you think that you just kind of take for granted, but that first day stepping out onto the mountain, you were like, you had no idea that that's what kind of the whole thing was about. Yeah, it's funny when I think about that first year I went um, elk hunting. It's weird because there there was a lot of factors that played into how that hunt went, um, and it didn't go well. Um, <laughs> but we had some crazy weather and crazy conditions, uh, and that certainly made the hunting difficult. Um, but I still wonder, it, it, dude. Everything felt so foreign. Like I had, I had never. I had been in the mountains and places like Colorado in terms of driving through the mountains and oh look, that's pretty, but I had never spent days upon days in the mountains. I'd never hiked off of trail miles deep into the mountains. I had never tried to understand where a wild animal was in the mountains and what it was doing and why it was doing it and how it could get close to it. And so just, it was, everything was foreign. Um, nothing, I would say nothing felt natural. There was like, I think there's this natural hunting instinct where I certainly connected with like the pursuit, but at the same time it was nothing felt natural in terms of the terrain was different and the weather was different and the, the sign was different. I mean, everything. Um, and so for me, I came off of that hunt, not overwhelmed, um, but just like, wow, my eyes have been opened into, um, a whole new world and a whole new experience. And I think, you know, what you, leading back to what you were saying about, you know, only maybe having a few months to prepare, I think that's okay. Um, and I think it's good to go into your first hunt with as much knowledge as possible. But at the same time, you're fooling yourself if you think that reading some articles, watching some videos, listening to some podcasts is knowledge. Not that they're not helpful. Um, I mean, uh, we, we have a podcast and we love helping new people, but it's just the fact that nothing replaces getting boots on the ground and doing it. And so I would say that don't, don't worry about only having four to six months to get ready or whatever you guys had, because you are going to putting, be putting your boots on the ground in the same way that other people who had a year and a half to plan their hunt are putting their boots on the ground and both of you are going to get on the ground and go all right, now I really got to figure this thing out. And that's just part of it. Um, that's part of the process. It's part of the fun. It's part of like the adventure. It's part of what makes it great is you don't know what you're getting into. Um, and so, yeah, it's great. In terms of specific things of 
you know, I, w- I wish I knew then what I know now. Most of those things have come from experience. Um, and so it's hard to say, I wish I knew then because I couldn't have known then because it's things that I've picked up along the way. What I will say is, as you listen to podcasts, as you watch videos, as you read articles, as you consume information about the pursuit, what that stuff does is it helps you understand how to make the most of the experience you're getting in the field. I mean, we just did a podcast recently with uh, Paul Medell, the elk nut, and it's like the third or fourth podcast we've done with him over the years. And every time uh, I soak it up and the listeners soak it up and love hearing from Paul. But even on this last podcast, Paul was describing something and the way he was describing it and the way he was laying out this encounter and how he was saying we did this and the elk did that. And because of that, this happened. It was taking me back to specific instances where I've been in that position. And so this knowledge that I'm taking in external via podcast is now connecting with an experience that I've had on the ground. And it's helping me connect those dots and really kind of complete that circle and understand that picture. So if I only had the podcast and didn't have the in the field experience, I wouldn't fully get it. And if I only had the in the field experience, but then didn't have somebody else explain to me what happened, I wouldn't fully get it. But the the combination of those two is what makes magic. And so I would just say that all the listeners who are out there soak up the podcast, soak up the videos, the articles or whatever, but connect that to real experience. And that's where growth will occur is it, uh, is in the way that you combine those two. Great, great information on that. Cause we've definitely been, soaking up everything we could get our hands on read listen to so i think john and i both have this this kind of the same i don't know idea of kind of where we're at with this whole thing because you know we we podcast every week we see each other multiple times a week we talk about you know what we're going to do how we're planning for this hunt we go over the maps we go over onyx we go over google earth you know we're we're looking at it but i mean i'm already looking forward to parking the truck and walking up the first ridge and then standing there and going, well, what the hell do we do now? You know, (laughs) because, you know, having never been there and not, you know, that boots on the ground aspect of it. And, you know, I've not, um, done that, this kind of hunting or that kind of, um, uh, hiking and, and whatever, but I've been out, spent some time out West and seen just like the vast area of the landscape. And I, I guess I kind of have that like overwhelming feeling or the, the feeling of being overwhelmed, like knowing that, you know, it's just out there in front of you. So now it's that whole figure it out type type part. And I think for us, the whole thing, and for me for sure, is the the adventure. You know, you had said that word adventure. That's the, that's the part of it. And I think that's where we're at. I think our, uh, you know, we've said it on here multiple times, so the listeners know, but the, the, our expectations are very simple is to hear an elk, see an elk, get an opportunity, have fun, don't get hurt. And that's, I mean, that's all we can ask for. You know, we're going to do our best, but we are going in knowing full well, we don't know what we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where what, however, however it plays out, 
and this will be this is easy to say when we're sitting on the podcast, but it's it's different when you're in the experience. But I would say however it plays out, just kind of detach from it and look at the experience and don't get like caught up in your head and caught up in yourself, but kind of detach and look at it and go, well, this is awesome. Like mm-hmm. we're in the mountains and yeah, this might suck and yeah, this might be difficult, but you know, in a week I'm going to be home and I'm going to wish I was back out here. And then for 300 plus more days, I'm going to wish I could get back to this moment. Um, And that's even if it sucks. So if it goes great, man, all the more better. (laughs) Um, But just, dude, it's like it's so cliche to say, but, you know, hunting is one of those things where you can spend days and days spinning your wheels and then everything can change literally in a matter of seconds. And so just flat out don't give up. Like, you know, I don't care if you go four or five days and don't see or hear an elk, you can kill an elk in an hour. Like it can happen that quick. Um, and so just stay in it and enjoy it. And, you know, not only spend the time outside, which is amazing, but, you know, enjoy the fact that you two are together sharing that adventure, which is cool. And I mean, it's just, just it's one of those things, man, you're, you're going to walk away from it and be itching to get back to it. So just enjoy every moment of it while you have it. For sure. So I guess, I guess on that note, um, uh, understanding that, you know, it's going to be a great experience either way. Um, can you just kind of, uh, let us live vicarious through, vicariously through you and kind of take us through the first time that you were successful on an elk hunt or you were on an elk hunt where someone was successful in the, the experience of, you know, bringing that elk off the mountain because, I think, again, for us in this this whole thing is that's going to be part of the experience. I mean, whether it's this year or 10 years, you know, at some point we're going to be successful. And that bringing the elk off the mountain um, portion of the hunt, you know, is is equally as important or rewarding, I I feel like, is going to be as the hunt itself. So um, can you, for, for new guys or for people that have never done it or that have, had the guides just take it out on pack horses or, or, or whatever. Can you kind of walk us through your experience, you know, the first time that, that you were involved in something like that? Yeah. So my, my first, very first elk hunt was in Colorado and it was, uh, I went out there with a buddy from home here who wasn't even hunting, had zero interest in hunting, didn't buy a tag. Uh, he was just along for the ride. Like he wanted to come and, and get in the mountains. And so I was the only hunter on that hunt. And as I mentioned before, we had, crazy bad weather i mean literally everything from 20s to 80s with winds that i don't have a wind meter but had to be 40 50 plus i mean literally trees blowing over in the night we're just laying there praying they weren't going to fall on us like through the night um so you just say we we had some crazy weather i literally saw one elk that whole trip like and it was the last day um and so anyway that hunt that was like that was the uh, success of that hunt was seen in elk. I was like, woohoo, last day. I saw an elk finally. All right. Um, the following year, I uh, hunted with a new buddy, Jared, who I've been hunting with ever since. And we packed into we packed into an area. Uh, we scouted it online. We had kind of a little bit of intel on like this very broad, like, you know, this is, this is a good area. This is like a good side of the unit type thing. We packed in, you know, I, I think our camp was three and a half, four miles from the truck. And so we were kind of expecting to have some sort of isolation and we packed in and within, I would say probably half of a mile 
of our, uh, not even a half mile, probably a quarter of a mile of our camp or where we set camp, there was probably three or four drop camps from an outfitter. And so we pack in three and a half, four miles deep and thinking we're going to get away from folks. And here it is, it's like, oh, there's an outfitter camp. There's an outfitter camp. There's another outfitter camp. Great. And so we kind of spent a couple of days um, figuring out where those camps were and where people were hunting. And thankfully, since those folks came in on horses via drop camp, they weren't they weren't going too far from camp um, to hunt through the day. So we basically, after a couple of days, kind of figured out, okay, well, there's people here, they're hunting here, and took a best guess of, well, if, if the people are doing that, what are the elk going to do? And so we kind of came up with this plan, well, we think the elk are going to do this because of the pressure, so let's go wing it and let's go that way. And uh, we get up and made a climb that day, the next day, to this spot where we hoped it would work, and we get on bugling bulls, uh, multiple bugling bulls, and we had, like, so this was for both of us, our second hunt, but this was like the first real encounters. I mean, we spent uh, probably three hours that morning, uh, at least, probably from like 9, 9.30 to 12, 12.30, multiple encounters with bulls, screaming bulls, being within, you know, shooting distance, but not having clear lanes of bulls at one point. I had a bull on the other side of this thicket. I could hear breathing. He was so close and couldn't even see him, much less shoot him just because it was thick. But like shaking in your boots, like, holy cow, this is the coolest thing I've ever done type of experiences. And so we spent that day and it was just, man, it was a rush. It was so stinking fun, but never connected. And so needless to say, after that day, we we're like, ah, I think we might have figured out where the elk are. Let's try that again tomorrow. And, uh, so we get up on this ridge and wait, um, just to kind of see, it's like, okay, well they started firing off of like nine, nine thirty in the morning here. Let's kind of wait and see if they do that again. Sure enough, they do. They come in like the same area. We can hear them across the ridge into the timber and they're firing off instead of going right at them. Um, we just decided to like head over there, but kind of play it patient, wait till they kind of settle in and settle down and see if we can make a move. Um, we we spent a probably gosh i want to say like a couple hours just kind of getting close listening to them but keeping our presence unknown we ultimately decided we're going to sit and like have this late morning snack and then go make this play so we said to have this snack and this bull just starts screaming his head off closer than we thought they were and so i was kind of like well forget food you know like let's go let's go see what we can do on this guy so anyway, long story short, we drop into the saddle. It's just like a perfect ideal location. And there's two bulls bugling, um, both off like as I'm facing to the left. And I sent Jared over there. I'm like, all right, let me, let me try and call him in, you know, draw him across you and see if we can draw him into the saddle and you can get a shot. So I drop back and he's probably 40, 50 yards ahead. I can't see him, um, but I can just hear these bulls screaming and, and my buddy Jared's between us. So I start doing some cows and I can tell the bulls getting more aggressive and then I can tell he's coming in. So I'm getting excited. And as I'm like in my head, like picturing what's happening up there, I see, I hear sticks breaking behind me. I'm like, Holy crap, what is this? And I was like, yeah, that that's something, something's coming, but it's not bugling. It's not making any noise. I can just hear something coming up this hillside. And so instantly I go from being consumed as the caller and imagining about what's happening over the way with Jared and I'm thinking, what the heck is coming in? And so 
I have my bow and so I'm going to shoot her and uh, I'm on the edge of this hillside and sure enough here come some antlers all I can see is antlers coming up this hill crest in the hill crest in the hill see a forehead see some eyes see a nose here's a head of an elk coming right at me and so I'm like full on like all right this is crazy this bull's coming in quiet I'm gonna get this shot like he just needs to crest this hill and he's only, you know, 12 to 15 yards away. This is amazing. I had forgotten all about my buddy and those bulls at this point. I'm just <laughs> focused on the one. And uh, he comes and he kind of crests the hill and I'm literally getting ready to draw. And the bull takes off. They're just gone. And I don't know if he winded me, if he saw me, or if he heard something or what. But then I also realized that that bull took off. But I had also heard noise from the other direction. And I'm like, what the heck is happening? So anyway, I ended up making my way towards my buddy Jared because the other bulls had kind of stopped bugling as well. And I'm just like, what happened? Like, did we just blow an opportunity, you know, each of us at the same time type thing? And I, I'll never forget walking up to him. And he's sitting on this little hillside and his hands are in his or his head is in his hands and he's just shaking, like just shaking. And, uh, so I'm like, dude, seriously, like I kind of had to like get down in front of him and like, did you just shoot a bull? Did you shoot a bull? And he's like, he, like he, I don't even think he said anything. He just kind of looked at me with like big silver dollar eyes and was shaking and said, yes. <laughs> so anyway, I, I began to try and get the story from him and he kind of shows me where the bull was and I took a few steps away and then I see his arrow just full pass through buried in a, buried in a down log and Jared had shot this bull at. I don't know, like six, seven, eight yards, somewhere in there. Um, that bull was coming into my calls while this other bull who came in silent to me was coming into the calls. And so anyway, we we almost shot two bulls at the same time. Thankfully, we didn't, which you'll hear about in a little bit. Um, but anyway, we were just on cloud nine, uh, super ecstatic. And, you know, finally went back to go get that snack that we started to try and eat is we want to wait an hour for this bull uh, before we start tracking them. I mean, blood was great. Blood was phenomenal. Really had no doubts, but, um, just wanted to give it time to be sure. So we went and you know how that goes. You kind of just retell the story and walk through all the details and, and finally time to start tracking this bull and blood was good. And I don't know, he went, I don't know, 80 to 120 yards or something like that somewhere in there. And it was at that moment walking up on that bull. That was the first for both of us that it was like, all right, things, things are real now. Like this is much bigger than the white tail that we've killed. Um, much, much, much bigger. And so, you know, it was the first time we had ever had a bull on the ground. First time we had ever tried to process anything that big. Uh, first time, you know, processing meat in the back country and thinking about where to hang it and put it and what to do. And do we take it now? Do we, what do we do? Like all those variables. And so anyway, we, we did the process, um, that whole time we had bulls bugling all around us that whole time we waited to track the bull. We had bulls bugling and actually had snuck down to see how close we could get and got within 40 yards of another bull. Um, but thankfully I didn't even bring my bow to tempt myself because I knew that being the first bull, I wanted to have a recovered it. And B, wanted to know we can get one taken care of before we even think about shooting another one, uh, which was difficult because I had to tag in my pocket and a bugling bull less than 40 yards away. 
uh, but it ended up being the right call. So anyway, we, we, uh, we spent, um, you know, probably a few hours getting that meat taken care of and getting it in bags. Uh, we had a nice little Creek drainage. We were up at 10, seven on the mountain and knew it would be plenty cool at night. Um, it was essentially almost dark by the time we got that meat stored. So we made the call to, uh, leave the meat packed back to camp, uh, to sleep that night. Which was probably, uh, probably two, two and a quarter miles away to camp. So I went to camp that night, tried to sleep, but obviously didn't work that well because we were just amped up. Um, and then we packed out from camp to the truck, which was about three and a half miles. And then we had to go back in for the bowl. And so we could go back to the bowl the way we came, like past camp and then another two plus miles, so about five and a half miles. Or there was this different trail system because a lot of what we did, the way we had come was not on trail. It was kind of on horse trails, but not on actual trails. And there's this other trail system that we were looking at the maps and we could kind of end around and make our way to the bowl. And we did that. And by the time we got to the bowl, it ended up being six miles And we had climbed, you know, more than a couple thousand feet and then had to drop back down a ways. And then, you know, we started to load up and then we kind of had the conversation on the way back to the bowl of this six mile hike sucks because we'd been hunting all week. We had just pecked out camp. So that six mile hike was like ended, you know, mile 10 of the day before we even started packing meat. We started to have that conversation of, do we want to do this again? Like, do we want to take out half of this bowl back to the truck and then have to hoof it back up here another six miles, another 12 mile round trip to get the second half? Or this six miles sucked. What if we try and throw all of the elk on our backs and then just try and get out in six miles? And so we ultimately made that decision to get the bowl out uh, in one trip which um, we did, but was to this day probably the most difficult thing I've done, um, including hiking 100 miles recently. Uh, it was just, I mean, it, to understand like what goes into that is you can't do it until you've experienced it. And so long story short is our first uh, pack out was six miles with half of a bull each on our backs, which was, you know, obviously a hundred plus pounds easy and was quite brutal. Um, we made some stupid navigation calls. We picked some dumb routes. We weren't smart about water and ran out of water. I mean, it was just like, it was rookie mistake after rookie mistake. Um, so something I talked about on a, on a podcast we'd recorded with another guest recently was, one of the best things you can do, and this is somewhat hard to do if you've never packed out an elk, but one of the best things you can do is have some rules or some idea of a pack out strategy before you ever put an animal on the ground. Because once you put an animal on the ground, you're just not you're not thinking clear. Um, you're worried about too many other things. So the more you can have a strategy in mind, the better. Meaning we will not shoot an elk this far from the truck or if we shoot it this far from the truck 
here's the pack out strategy. If we shoot it this far from the truck, here's the pack out strategy. And so I know that that's not necessarily easy to do and you've never done it before, but I would encourage people to think through some of those things well before they ever put an elk on the ground. Well, I mean, and that's kind of why I asked the question because, I mean, I don't know if it is like the the romanticized portion of the of the hunt you know because it's not just killing the bull it's you know making sure that you're you know honoring the animal and you know the the whole making an ethical shot you know kind of that completes the process uh, yeah by by getting it back to the truck and like i say for for us having never done it before and you know, we've talked to, you know, buddies of ours that have done it and they walk up and think it's just a giant white tail and try to gut the thing. And <laughs> that's right. not happening either. Um, yeah. So. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, you know, it's one of these things where I think, unfortunately, a guy, a lot of guys would take this approach of like, yeah, I packed out an elk six miles, you know, half a bull by myself, blah, blah, blah. And I would say I've done the same thing and it was one of the dumbest things I've ever done. And so I don't approach it from like this macho i'm awesome thing i approach it from the perspective of it wasn't smart um and if i were to do it again i would try and find a different way to do it because it's just not smart it's not smart in a lot of ways like it's not it's not good on your body it's not the smart way to do it for a whole bunch of reasons um but sometimes you just have to do it has to be done and sometimes you do what has to be done simply because you're an idiot and don't know any better which was kind of our scenario (laughs) but i would say little things like being very honest like i mentioned before and dig into the details we made some really dumb um like route finding and uh strategies in terms of getting out of there we're like well instead of going around here which is longer we can take this shortcut and the word shortcut and mountains should not go together because <laughs> um, the shortcut that we took was, I mean, there's no other way to say it, but it was dangerous. Like we didn't know that till we were in it, um, but we were literally at the point where we were climbing with 100 plus pounds on our back and it was so steep we were having to use our hands like to help. <laughs> and it, like that's just dumb. Like that's not macho. That's I mean, it's just dumb to put yourself in a position where you're five plus miles from the truck and hours and hours away from help. And you now have, you know, hundred plus pounds on your back and you're so vertical that one little slip can send you tumble. Like that's just stupid. But those are the decisions that if you're not thinking ahead, you end up making dumb decisions. And so that's why I think it's helpful to be very objective and also to be realistic of if, if you're new to this thing, and you don't know if you can pack an elk out five miles, then you shouldn't be five miles away from the truck trying to shoot an elk. Like maybe you need to limit yourself to three miles or maybe you need to limit yourself to whatever number. Obviously, that gets into different scenarios of, you know, what's the elevation like? What's the trail system like? Do you have a packer? Blah, blah, blah. Like there's endless variables and that's why that's a personal decision you need to make. But those are certainly things that you need to keep in mind. Well, like I say, that's why we're asking the questions to people who have done it. And, you know, uh, and especially it's really good, um, uh, very insightful from a person like yourself who's uh, done it multiple times, but you also didn't grow up doing it from the time that you were 12 or, you know, the, from the first time that you, you could hunt. Yeah, it was hunting not out. at all. You know, so, so from coming from a, a Midwestern background, it's very helpful because you kind of understand 
you know, I guess where we're coming from or like what what it's like to to step out onto the mountain for the first time and say, oh my God, what now? Yeah, um, no, 100%. <laughs> yep. And this has been really great and it's been uh, good talking to you. So what hunts do you have uh, coming up this year? What's, what are your, uh, what are your hunts? What's your season look like? Yeah. I mean, I'll be um, headed back to Colorado with my same buddy, Jared, again. We've been doing that every year uh, since that first story we just got done talking about. Hopefully smarter each time. (laughs) Um, So we've been doing that every year and we're doing that again uh, here in the first half of September. And then in the later half of September, I'll be hunting out in Idaho um, with some of the guys from Exo Mountain Gear. And then we're also hunting with uh, Cody and Trent from Born and Raised Outdoors. So we'll be doing that and kind of wrapping up their season with their filming and all the projects that they do, uh, ending that in Idaho. So looking forward to hunting with those guys. Um, so yeah, two elk hunts in September. And then beyond that, um, you know, doing some Midwest hunting for whitetail and looking forward to doing that a whole bunch. And then kind of already looking ahead to 2019, kick around some ideas, most likely headed to Alaska for caribou and trying to work in some other plans. But yeah, what's forefront is uh, is definitely elk in September and then looking forward to getting back and doing some hunting with my kids, you know, close to home for whitetails. And I'm doing a, a pack-in um, whitetail hunt to a wilderness area in Missouri, which is like unheard of because nobody thinks or hunts that way, you know, out here in the Midwest. So yeah, just a whole bunch of a uh, whole bunch of fun is about to happen in the next few months. Awesome. So are, is that all strictly archery or do you, do you also have some gun? yeah like i'll hunt um all the elk stuff is archery um you know i will do ton of archery hunting here in the midwest for whitetail but then you know if it's if gun season's open and i want to go out and hunt i'm more than happy to pick up the rifle and do that that's when i'll be doing that pack and hunt to a wilderness area so yeah i mean for me it's uh i absolutely love bow hunting but i have you know i don't mind picking up a rifle at all and i enjoy that hunt and because i don't do it as much at to me, it's almost like I feel less comfortable with a rifle in my hand to some extent. I know they're, you know, they're theoretically way more accurate and you have way more capability. But at the same time, I'm also very realistic about how much time I spend behind a rifle. And so for me, it's like I still have to feel it out, you know, and I, I'm not one of these guys that's going to go out there and be shooting hundreds and hundreds of yards because I send hundreds and hundreds of rounds down range a year. I love shooting rifles. I just don't get around to do it as much simply because I can't walk out my back door and shoot. Uh, with a rifle like I can with a bow. So I'll certainly uh, look forward to picking up the rifle, but it's um, it's not something that's primary to me, but I'm, I'm definitely happy to do it if that season's open and it gives me some opportunity to get outside. For sure. So um, what what bow are you shooting right now? Um, I'm shooting a Hoyt, uh, the Carbon Defiance, not the new uh, Redworks, but um, I guess what is this year? So it was a 2017 Carbon Defiant. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I shot elite bows for a long time and I was on pro staff with them for a bit and I love their system as well. And then a few years back, you know, just kind of wanted to try something just to see what was out there. And so I had the opportunity to go to the ATA show, which I'd done a whole bunch of years, but was with elite. And so for the first year uh, after that, that I went to the ATA show, just kind of on my own and was just able to go shoot anything and everything. Um, the Hoyt, you know, stood out to me for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, and now that I've picked that up over the last few years, you know, it's, I've just grown so accustomed to it 
Um, I like the relatively lighter weight. I love the carbon riser, especially as it gets colder and not having to grab that cold metal uh, or aluminum riser. Uh, but yeah, just the shoot, uh, the shot, the feel, the way it holds. I mean, I think we're in one of those uh, places now with bows where there's just so many stinking good options. I mean, I, I love that Hoyt. I uh, had the opportunity to get a new bow this year and just flat out didn't want to because it was like, why mess with the great thing? Um, but yeah, I mean, even like last year going to the ATA show, there's, you know, this bows are good and quick and accurate and quiet and it's few and far between that I would go shoot a bow and flat out thought, well, I couldn't shoot that. Like, uh, no way. Like, I, I don't want to take that into the field. I would say the majority of bows, it was like, yeah, I could shoot that. Like you put my, put that in my hands and let me, you know, get some practice with it. And yeah, I could hunt with that and shoot that for sure. So there's definitely a lot of good options out there. Yeah, for sure. That's, I, I'm, I shot the Hoyt double, double XL last year and then I ended up getting the, the new RX one this year. So I'm, and I'm absolutely loving that carbon riser and the way it shoots, hold everything, but. Yeah. And we've, I mean, for me, I'm as much about how it feels at full draw than I am anything else. And yeah. so speeds are nice and specs are nice and being quiet is nice and being dead on the shot is nice. But for me, more than anything, I want to get back to full draw and feel really comfortable and like really dialed and not be fighting the bow. Um, and that's something that, you know, excels with me uh, for the Hoyt. So that's another reason I just stick with it. Yeah, that's what we talked about. Was <clears throat> it's a, we're at ATA this spring, and Adam shot every bow that they had, you know, and I shot a couple of the Matthews and I shot the the Hoyts, but I'm I shoot a thirty one inch trial link, so I'm limited on the bows that are available. Yeah, but what we said though is with there all the bows have or all the manufacturers pretty much have a top of the line bow that's you know, they're great. And it's just a matter of how it feels to you. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, I was just, my son's turning 15 and he shoots right now, he shoots a diamond. And, uh, we went up to the pro shop and he looked at the Matthews. And he's like, Oh man, I, I got to get that new, uh, triax. I'm like, well, you, you just gotta, you just gotta shoot, shoot all of them and find out which one fits you. Or, you know, which one feels the best to you. You can't just go by brand because it's cool, you know, the name and, you know, how it looks. But get out there, shoot them all, and, you know, see which one fits best for you. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. But, so, yeah, I think that's pretty much all we've got tonight. Um, Mark, I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on here with us. Um, so, where, where can people find you and um, the Hunt Backcountry podcast and all of that? Yeah, I um I don't do much like personally in terms of social media and things like that, but um I'm happy to answer questions directly, whether that's you know exo stuff or anything else. If it's elk hunting, just shoot me an email direct. It's just mark m a r k at exomontgear.com. Um, as you mentioned, the podcast is is called the Hunt Backcountry Podcast. You can find that in iTunes and Stitcher and all those places. Uh, and then Exo Mountain Gear, which is exomountgear.com, is the website for the packs. Uh, Instagram is um, at Hunt Backcountry, both for Exo Mountain Gear and the podcasts and all that. Um, and so, yeah, even if I would say, even if you're not in the market for a pack or anything like that, 
you know, we mentioned like that nutrition resource. We have a free training program in terms of like fitness uh, training that we co-developed with the guys from Atomic Athlete on our website. And then we just try and put out good content, whether that be podcasts or blogs or articles or videos. We have a ton of gear list um, and what's in my pack videos from a whole bunch of different folks. So if you guys are, you know, looking for ideas on packing strategies and how it might vary from like one hunt to another, one season to another, I would just go check that out uh, and take those resources and, you know, hopefully it can help you guys uh, enjoy future adventures even more. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've, I think I've watched all the what's in, what's in my pack <laughs> videos from you guys. Oh, cool. <laughs> and then, uh, I just have to say, you know, I, I ordered my pack this week and I, I called and I think I talked to her name, Jennifer on the phone. Yeah. Uh huh. And great customer service. She, you know, I wasn't sure on what belt I should get and, you know, she walked me through it and then, you know, you guys emailed me back and then you ended up emailing me and that's how this turned out. So I just have to put it out there. You guys, great customer service and great product too. I love my pack. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. It's cool. I mean, it's, it's one of those deals where if people, you know, I don't, I don't always know what people get the impression of online. And I think sometimes people get the impression that we're big, which I guess is a good thing. But in the end, I mean, we're, um, a super small company trying to make the best products we can, but at the same time, you know, help people. And so whether you have questions about the pack or just something else, I mean, we're, we're happy to help. And that's the reason we try and put out that type of content, be it the podcast or things like that is just because we just want to help other people get outside more. And if that includes buying a pack, then great. And if it doesn't, then hopefully we can help you anyway. And, you know, it's, it's fun that, you know, people can call up the phone and get me or get Jen or, you know, somebody from our small team and just that we can directly work with people like that because we truly you know enjoy that aspect of it as well awesome well it goes a long way and like i say we just really appreciate you coming on here um you know can't wait to to kind of follow along with what you guys are doing this year and hopefully we'll be able to catch back up with you um after the season or maybe at ata and talk about uh, our experience as far as you know kind of how it how it broke down and kind of see how your how your hunt turned out as well so yeah let's do it for sure Sit down. Sit down.